Welcome to It's the ADHD Friendly Podcast, where we talk all things well-being, personal development, and living our best damn ADHD lives at home and at work. My name is Karen McGill. I'm a certified ADHD life coach, and I'm here to help you do life better. Do you struggle with way too many ideas and no clear plan of getting any of them done? Is overwhelm paralyzing you from moving forward with your dreams and goals? Well, you're not alone, my friend. That was me too for the first 50 years of my life. But once I had my diagnosis and a concrete reason for my lack of follow-through, I went ham on trying to find a way to manage it. And that is exactly what I did. Today, I am organized, I'm thoughtful about what I take on, and I am living my best ADHD life as a result. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is intentional, it's consistent, and I have a lot more peace because of it. And I want that for you too. Distraction to Action is my short, fun productivity bootcamp designed especially for the ADHD brain. It is loaded with ideas and tools based on the latest research on how our neurodivergent brains work, and it can help you unlock your own ADHD brain so that you can focus on what's most important and finally follow through on your juiciest goals. Find a link to the program in the show notes or go to itsadhdfriendly.com forward slash D2A. That's letter D, number two, letter A, which stands for Distraction Action. Head there now to get your focus on and become a follow-through ninja. Now back to the show. Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope that you're having a fantastic week. I am recording this podcast from my little cottage in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Y'all, if you've never been to Santa Fe, you are missing out. This little town is so cute. It has great architecture, amazing food and culture and art, and the weather is beautiful and there's great hiking. It's just, it's an amazing little place. So I could absolutely see myself retiring here. I don't know a soul here, but it's beautiful. I love it. My husband and I came here to escape the ridiculous heat. That is happening in Austin right now. So I'm very happy to be in 75 degree and sunny weather with zero humidity. I am here for it. <laughs> this week, I am answering some listener questions. And they're somewhat personal to these people. So I want to frame my answer around the way I would think about solving their issue. Because the questions that I'm going to get into, particularly the first one, is rooted in something that hangs up so many of us that it's really worth it for me to go through it and share with you how I would help this person navigate their own issue, which is around overwhelm and signing up for too many things. <laughs> so let's start off with that first question, and then I'll pop back in to introduce the second question. Okay, so this question comes from Amanda, and she writes, I have five kids, ages nine, seven, five, three, and one. And she homeschools three of them. She says she has a hard time with consistency and can't even find time to create systems, much less follow them. She says she loves following routines, but she finds that she's always failing at them. And she goes on to say, I can't go on to fail myself, my kids, my family for another year with needing meals, cleaning the home, homeschooling, spiritual life, working out, socializing, and having time to plan. She said she bought some Pilates equipment last year and her husband wants her to start teaching some clients in order to make a little side cash, which sounds great, but she can't seem to get herself started. And her big question is, where does she start? How does she stay consistent when she fails time and time again? This breaks my heart a little bit because I can see what I don't think Amanda sees. And I bet a lot of you out there might have an idea of where I'm going to go with this. 
One of the biggest struggles with ADHD is our ability to understand our own capacity. If you can imagine a capacity meter in your head, a neurotypical person would be able to commit to a certain amount and then say, I can't do anything more because this is, I'm at capacity. Whereas an ADHD person, because we're very prone to bright, sparkly things, because we're people pleasers, because we want to do all the things, we say yes to all the things and we commit to all the things. And we have an expectation that we'll be able to do all the things because our capacity meter is broken. What I don't think Amanda is putting into perspective is that with five kids, three of whom she's homeschooling, she's probably working the equivalent of at least one, maybe even two full-time jobs. I'm assuming she doesn't have help, but if she did, great. I hope she does. But if she doesn't, then everything that she's doing probably takes at least 80 hours a week. I'm just making guess at that. But the only way that Amanda can find that out is if she does what I'm going to recommend doing. And that is to measure exactly how much time her non-negotiables actually take. Now, when she does this, first of all, it's gonna become very clear of how much work she's actually doing. Then it's gonna also become very clear that she doesn't have a lot of extra time in her life to do other things that she's currently shaming herself for not doing right now. And it's also going to become abundantly clear that she's not failing, she's just overcommitted. So with that said, here's what I would recommend doing, Amanda. Grab a piece of paper and write down what your big rocks are. Big rocks are like those non-negotiables that you have every morning, getting your kids up, getting them dressed and fed and ready for homeschooling or going to school. All of the non-negotiables, I want you to write them down and I want you to put a time estimation beside each one. Now, tomorrow morning, what I want you to do, wherever you start your day, I want you to have that piece of paper ready with your phone and a timer. There's timers on all iPhones and I'm sure Androids as well. And when you start your day, I want you to hit the timer and I want you to start timing exactly how long it takes you to complete all of those big rocks and have a definitive end time. Like from the point where my first child is up to the point where they're all sitting down for homeschooling, I believe it takes me two hours. And then I want you to actually go through that and see how much time it takes. And maybe you're right, but I suspect you're probably off in terms of how much time it takes for all of these things to actually complete. And I think that for number one is a very common thing for ADHDers because of time blindness. We are not able to digest the passage of time like the average neurotypical person does. So very often when things take longer, we think they're taking longer for us, but they're not. They just take longer than our expectation because again, expectation is part of that capacity monitor that's a little bit broken. And now we've got our internal time clock, which is also a little skewed. So we are saying yes to too many things. We're expecting that they won't take as long as they do. And then as a result, when those two outcomes don't happen as you expect them to, that's when the failure and the shame starts to happen. So really, these are logistical issues that you're having, more so you being a quote unquote failure. So I would recommend that you do that with each chunk of your day, the morning, the afternoon, and the evening, until you have a snapshot of exactly how long it takes you to complete all of your non-negotiable in an average given day. And if you realize that it takes longer than your expected amount, then you can start to see realistically that in order for you to add in all of these other things that are part of the expectation you have for yourself of working out and seeing your friends and having a spiritual life, all of those things, if they're important to you and you want to bring them into your life, 
then something needs to change. But you can't look at it through the lens of, I'm a failure and that's why this isn't working. You got to look at it through the lens of what is working about the schedule, what's not working about the schedule, and how can we change things? So what I would recommend, once you know exactly how much time it takes for you to complete all the things you need to do in a day, write it down on a master calendar, like a master week-long calendar. So you have a week spread of what your week looks like every week. And I would recommend, and I will even go find something and link it below, that you can put on your fridge so that everybody sees it and it's in bright, bold colors of what time we wake up at, what time we have breakfast at, what time we start school at, what time dinner, bedtime, all of those things are at, and have the blocks of time where you are committed. And that's not only going to keep you aware of how much time you have in a day to get everything done, but it's also going to keep your husband aware. And there was a comment that you put at the end of your comment about him feeling like at the age of 40, you should have your life together. That might give him a clear indication of exactly how taxing your week actually is. Now, if you want to add in things like seeing your friends or working out, then what you need to do is look at that calendar and make sure that you have buffer time in every day because life happens, we all know it, somebody's gonna pee the bed and your day is gonna go sideways at some point because your children are just gonna need you for unexpected things or life is gonna come up. So you have to plug in buffer time on top of all of the big rocks that you have in your schedule. You've got to plug in your sleep time because that's something that we for often forget to do or just minimize importance of. But I've said this a million times before, if you are getting poor sleep, your ADHD symptoms will be on level 10. And the more sleep you have, the less your symptoms will show up. So if you want to follow a really good schedule, you've got to have your sleep schedule dialed in. So put that on your calendar as well. Now, when you look at the calendar and you've got the big rocks, your sleep and your buffer time all scheduled in there, what do you have left? Maybe an hour a day, maybe in a couple hours a week. That's when you have to have a conversation with yourself about what is most important to you right now in this season of life with these small kids. How do you wanna spend those few precious hours you have a week to yourself? Is it working out for yourself? Is it seeing friends? Whatever fills your cup is what you want to spend that time doing. Now, in terms of the Pilates business, I think it's great to have an aspiration to start a part-time job, but I would not do any of that until you looked at your calendar and this schedule for your week, because that's going to indicate how much time you have towards starting a business, getting it set up and managing the day-to-day. When you think about it, when you start a business, it's not just putting a shingle on the wall, it's marketing, it's bookkeeping, it's getting insurance, it's creating a schedule for your clients to book appointments with you. It's some sort of a payments system. All of those things that need to be set up and maintained that are going to take at least a couple hours, if not more, throughout the week. On top of that, with a Pilates business being a service-based business, you are trading dollar for hour, which means you've got to set up time for running your business and then you've got to set up time for teaching Pilates. And when you say you have equipment for Pilates, I'm making the assumption that you have one reformer system so you could potentially do one-on-one clients as opposed to a group classroom. How much would you have to charge per client to make that hour of teaching along with all of the other time and energy and expense that are involved in starting a business, how much do you have to charge that client in order to make the rest of it make sense? 
So with that said, it's really important to look at these things and ask these questions so that you are coming at this rationally as opposed from a place of I'm not doing enough or I'm failing because the reality is that a woman with five kids, three of whom are being homeschooled, is a superwoman for doing just that. If you are keeping your children alive and educated, then you are doing so much already. And all of these other things that you could be doing, you probably could do them. I have no question that you have limitless ability to do whatever it is you want to do. But what you don't have, the biggest scarcity in your life right now is time. So you've got to get crystal clear on how much you have and what is most important for you to be spending that time on. And I hope that some of that time is spent on you and filling your cup and making sure that you have the energy that you need to go through your day. Now, the question that you asked me now that we've gone through all that is how do you set up systems for consistency or routines for consistency? Routines are just behaviors that we do every single day. So you have routines right now. You may not like the way they are going, but you have a routine just like I have a routine, just like everybody has a routine, right? And when we think about an idealized routine of what we would like things to be, very often it is a far departure from our current routine. So the first thing to remember is that you have a routine. The second thing to remember is that if your ideal routine is very different from the current one, then change has to be small and incremental because your routines and your changes that you make impact I have to do math in my head here, six other people in your family, your husband and your five children. So what I would recommend is having a conversation as a family about what the roadblocks are to moving towards a more calm or peaceful or whatever kind of routine it is that you want. So you trying to do this alone is not going to work. You have got to have family buy-in, which is why I love that idea of the calendar on the fridge. I swear I'm going to Amazon right after this and I'm going to find something. I'm going to link it below for you. Start there and also look at it as a small chunks. So getting your family together, what needs to change about our morning routine? What does everybody want out of the morning routine? And remember that your routine has to work in concert with six other routines. And they're all going to look very different because your nine-year-old's routine is probably very different than your one-year-old's routine. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but what I want to remind you of is the complexity level of making even small changes in your family is going to take a lot of time and attention. And the more buy-in you have from the people in your family, the easier it's going to be. But all of this starts with self-awareness. And this is part of the model that I shared a few weeks ago. I'll list it up here, and it is my ADHD framework for success. It's a flywheel that starts with self-awareness, and your self-awareness is going to come from understanding how much time you have in a day versus what the expectations are of you as a mother of five who homeschools. So once you are fully aware of what your time commitments are, then you go into lifestyle design. What can you change or adjust? What small adjustments and changes can you make to design your life in a way that supports you a little bit better? And with that, I always encourage ADHDers to look at their external environment first because our short-term memory is never usually fantastic. So whatever you want to remind yourself in terms of changes in your morning routine, you want to have reminders on the fridge and reminders by your bedside and reminders by the kids' bedsides. Get everybody involved in it, but reminders outside of your head because they will not be retained in your head and start there. The next part of that flywheel is energy management. 
let those changes take hold over a week or two weeks or three weeks, and then start to assess it from an energy management perspective. Is the energy in your house more the way you want it to be, or is it further away from the way you want it to be? So energy management is the way that you want to look at the success of your lifestyle design. And once you have that energy management going in the right direction, doesn't have to be perfect, then you'll have a new level of self-awareness where you can start to continuously see where you can make changes in your family's routines and then make the lifestyle adjustments and then again measure the energy output from that. So I hope that framework gives you something to think about in terms of your own routines and how to build them mindfully. The most important thing for you is going to be a big calendar on the fridge so that everyone knows how jacked mom's schedule really is and that they need to pull the weight as much as they can and that you need some time to yourself to fill your own cup and manage this wonderful family that you have. I hope this was helpful. Now, this second question comes from a reader who wanted some perspective on my choice not to have children and whether or not my ADHD impacted that. So I'll go ahead and get into that question now. It's a little bit more personal to me, but I hope that my answer helps anyone who is grappling with a big life question. So let's jump into it. When I was growing up, I knew that I didn't want to have kids. In my heart, I knew, but if I ever said, I don't think I want to have kids, people would just dismiss that and say, oh, wait till you grow older. You want to have kids. Wait till you meet somebody you love. You'll want to have kids. Wait till your biological clock starts ticking. So Naturally, as a young, immature person, I deferred my better judgment to the people around me who I figured knew better than I did. And I just waited and I found a great guy and we got married. And I assumed that at some point I would want to have kids with him, but I didn't. So what ended up happening was about a year into our marriage, I was pretty confident that I didn't want to have kids. And we tried counseling and trying to figure things out, but this is one of those very binary things in a marriage where you're either going to have kids or not have kids. There's not much of a compromise there. So we decided to part ways amicably. And then I was now in the dating world trying to navigate this new commitment that I had made to myself not to have children. And I decided to obviously not wear a t-shirt saying, I don't want to have children because it wasn't who I was. It was just a personal choice that I decided to make in my life that I then had to evolve into the conversations I was having with people on like the first couple of dates. When you're talking about your preferences and what you want out of life and those sort of things, that's when I would bring up the point where I was very confident I didn't want children. And sometimes that became more of a conversation depending on the person I was with and whether or not they wanted to have kids, which might mean that was the last date we would go on. But as long as you're very open about those things, it's not personal, right? It's just a decision. So in terms of getting very confident about the decision I was making, what I did was talk to other people. At the time, I was a trade show manager. And I remember this one specific trade show I was going to where the whole global sales organization was coming in. And I knew a lot of them, not like really well, but enough that we could have conversations about life over dinner and stuff like that. And I asked everybody, what are your thoughts on having children? Do you have kids? If so, are you glad you had kids? Could you see life without kids being enjoyable? I asked all of those questions and people were very open about sharing their realities. Some people said, I wish I hadn't had kids or I could see myself being very happy without kids. And they were open because again, this was the global sales organization of people I knew tangentially. They weren't in my social circles where we would make personalized judgments about things that people were saying. 
So put it out there and don't necessarily ask the people that are in your world, ask the people that are slightly outside of your world that have absolutely no agenda around you having children or not. So that was one thing that was really helpful for me. Another thing that I think would have been helpful that I just wasn't aware of at the time was really understanding what my values are. I do think that values are something that evolved to some degree over time, but really your core values are based on a lot of life experience that happens early on in life. So I always knew, even though I'd never really articulated it, that freedom and independence were my primary values. I always wanted to be in situations where I had a lot of alternatives, a lot of choices, and not a lot of things holding me down because I found that I was somebody who needed to experience life in a way that wasn't typical. I had already started to realize that I'm somebody who needs a lot of novelty. I really enjoy adventure and I really enjoy having my time to myself. That was a big value for me. And also this feeling of knowing in this life that I really just need to parent myself as opposed to having that desire to parent another human being. So for all of those reasons, I knew intrinsically that I needed a life that would allow me to explore freely as much as possible. And I've stayed true to that. That's another reason why I love entrepreneurship and another reason why I bristle whenever I have appointments on my calendar because the way I am and the way my energy flows from minute to minute, I need a lot of white space in my life in order to thrive. So with that said, I would encourage you to start doing some value assessments. There's tons of them on the internet for free. If you sign up for my email list, I'll send you a values assessment along with a needs assessment and strengths assessment. But the more you know about yourself, the better informed you are going to be in terms of making this huge life decision. And at the end of the day, whether you decide to have children or not, the meaning that you create in your life is up to you. And I say that because a lot of people say to me, oh, you don't want to have kids. It does not make your life a little pointless or purposeless. And the answer to that is an absolute hell no. All the people in my life that I've impacted, whether they're in my social circle or my family, all of those things give me great significance and personal meaning. So I didn't need children to complete me in any way. I'm also somebody who's very active with dog rescue. So if I had any parental urges, they were completely satisfied with rescue dogs 100%. But that's me. It's such a personal decision. I think everybody's got to make decisions for themselves. And no matter where you end up on that, just make sure you're listening to your own heart and not the influence of the people around you. Now, the one other question that the viewer had that I did not address was whether or not my ADHD diagnosis had an impact on my decision not to have children. And the answer to that is yes and no. So when I was in my 30s and I was making this decision, I didn't have a diagnosis, although I did have the lived experience. And intuitively, I knew that in this lifetime, if I was going to have the best chance at life and if I was going to optimize for well-being and happiness, then I needed to focus on myself as opposed to bringing other children into the world. Obviously, having kids is a huge responsibility. And while I wasn't an irresponsible person, I was somebody who had erratic energy from one day to the next and sometimes had a hard time self-regulating. And I knew that in this lifetime, I needed to take care of those things as opposed to focusing my energy on another human being. So at the end of the day, I think that ADHDers can be great parents, just like neurotypical people. But obviously, again, that comes back to values and what is most important to you. So I hope that sharing my personal story in some way helps somebody out there making the same decision. At the time, it was really hard, but in retrospect, I know that I 
I made the right decision for me. And if at some point down the line, you decide that you want to somehow parent, there's so many opportunities in life from adoption and fostering to volunteering and just helping out the people in your community. So that's what I have for you today, guys. I hope that was helpful in some way. And I will see you right here next Friday. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. For links and resources for this podcast, please visit itsadhdfriendly.com or click the link in the show description. Please also be sure to subscribe so you get automatic updates when new shows are posted. And of course, please do leave us an ADHD-friendly review. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.